Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop. This is the official podcast of the official student newspaper at Florida State University, uh, the FSU and Florida Flambeau. I'm back with uh, Austin Reynolds, and uh, it's been a while since Austin's been on. Austin, um, uh, good to have you back. Um, First, I want to ask you before we get into everything, I know it seems like you've been pretty versatile in what you've been covering, you know, the last, uh, last few weeks here. Um, could you give me an, an idea? I know you've done a little bit of volleyball, a little bit of everything, you know, before we get started, could you give me an idea of just, you know, what you've been up to these last few weeks? Yeah. That, that diversity is really the beauty of spring sports because ball, it's like mostly football. You get into some of the, the previews of basketball, but spring is where it starts to open up. So I've done a feature on Lily Tessier of the women's volleyball team, I've done a piece for the men's golf team after they won their first event of the year, the uh, uh, Camp Creek Invitational. And then I also did a piece for um, for women's tennis uh, featuring Petra Huell, who has been over in Australia for a, lo- a long period um, of time before they uh, before the team came back because of the pandemic. So getting to, oh, wow. getting to work on a lot more sports than I ever could in past semesters, thanks to this uh, this pandemic we got going on. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely appreciate that. And I know uh, Jake Mossing, who was on last week, he was been I, I think he did like five different sports in a week. So, I mean, we've got, you know, definitely some tremendous, you know, coverage of all all FSU sports, I think, going on with the newspaper and then segueing into obviously one of our more talked about sports. Um, but I think one that definitely captures the attention of many people, and that would be FSU basketball. I mean, we're we're now on the way to being officially a basketball school. Um, <laughs> I think since our last episode, Florida State uh, picked up a win at Pittsburgh, which um, Pittsburgh has always been. It, it, you know, I don't know that this is really rooted in any, um, y- you know, definable basis, but it really seems like Pittsburgh, and specifically going to Pittsburgh, has been just kind of a, a house of horrors for Florida State. So they were able to beat Pittsburgh in in what was a close game, but never one that was really seriously in doubt on Saturday. And then Miami, the game that I I mostly want to talk about a little bit, um, Florida State, I mean, really took it to Miami. I think, um, you know, it was a final score of 88 to 71. But from from what I saw, you know, it really kind of seemed like FSU could have almost named their score. They, they, really, they really could have. And the injury uh, bug for Miami really did not help them at all. I believe they were missing five players in that game, two or three of which were lost for the season. Uh, the, the guys on ACC Network do a good job of updating you on just how really unfortunate the state of that program is right now. Hurricane, yeah. Hurricane sitting at 7-14, and 3-13 and 13 in the ACC right now. But that's, uh, that 17-point margin was definitely not as uh, as lopsided as it could have been. FSU kind of put in the green vipers at the end, as is tradition when they're up by a lot at the end of a game. So they, they kind of uh, uh, t- took off the blasters a little bit, but still a really impressive win and, and a win that FSU should have gotten. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, I, I think, to be honest, if this game, I mean, a 17 point win, you can never complain about that. Yeah. But I think if this game had been much, you, you know, if it had been a lot closer, then, you know, that might have been some cause for concern. But, um, you know, going back through that game, it looked like the first half was, you know, a pretty, you know, stand- it, this was, I think, overall a standard game for if you are an FSU fan and you want to see an FSU win, 
this is generally how you might see it. Um, I think that it was pretty, um, you know, just in terms of kind of a win, a win by committee was what coach Hamilton called it in his uh, post-game press conference. Um, I mean, just a lot of, once again, a lot of um, uh, input from the depth of the team. I thought um, who I want to talk about a little bit is because I, I thought he was a little bit slower out of the gate, but with an injury to MJ Walker last night, um, I thought Sadar Calhoun for in, in particular, I mean, he had 16 points on the night. He definitely, um, I mean, filled in admirably for MJ Walker in that, in that point. It was very, you know, it was praising Walker quite a bit. He called him the, the head of the snake in that post-game press conference. And I thought, I thought Calhoun did a fantastic job in, um, you know, in filling in that role, Austin, any, um, any initial observations from you here before we get into kind of getting the weeds of this game. And then, you know, now we can finally start talking about, you know, the, the big dance coming up soon. Yeah. It's, it's really getting up close to that time. It's kind of crazy, but uh, the, I think the, the analysis by Sadar Calhoun calling MJ Walker, the head of the snake is, uh, is really spot on because while, while Raekwon Gray is probably the most important piece of this team, just because he is such a great two-way player, gets his double-double, uh, starting to get that more often now. Uh, MJ Walker is the the far and away leader on this team when it comes to leadership, when it comes to just teaching guys how to, how to make smart shots, uh, create their own shots. That's something he focused on earlier in the season, uh, told the media that he was trying to move away from just jacking up shots because he thought they would go in just trying to be more analytical about that so he's passing on that mentality to all the younger guys on this team hopefully to spread that to future generations of Seminoles after he's gone here so the analysis there by uh, by Calhoun is really spot on and Calhoun himself he had a really great night I believe his 16 points were the uh, the highest of his FSU career so far and this, mm-hmm. and this is this is a guy coming out of junior college who was one of the more hyped acquisitions on this roster that included uh, Scotty Barnes, obviously, like Scotty Barnes was dominating headlines when he became uh, FSU's highest ever rated recruits. But you, you do not sleep on these junior college guys, and Sadar Calhoun is absolutely showing you why. Absolutely, and I really think that you know guys like Calhoun that I I, I think obviously as FSU is just kind of more. Um, you know, I think more ascendant in the eyes of the national media, at least, you know, picking up kind of, you know, slam dunk recruits like Scotty Barnes. I think things like that are definitely going to more of those dominoes are going to fall FSU's way. But I really think that, you know, those guys, they're kind of um, lightly recruited. I'd say, um, you know, even somebody like Devin himself comes to mind in previous years. Those guys have really been the kind of the bread and butter for this team, it seems like. And um, I mean, this was just, you know, another fantastic night from, um, uh, from Calhoun and, and from uh, a few other guys, I think that really kind of slip under the radar, but overall, I mean, I think you talked about the the state of the hurricanes and I, I do want to address that. I mean, this was a team that just has been shellacked quite honestly by injuries. I mean, they had, um, I think just eight, yeah, just eight players uh, available for Wednesday night's game. And I mean, that, that's no way to play a game and, and have it be competitive, really, unless you're FSU women's basketball playing against Clemson. <laughs> you know, then, then you can pull something out in double overtime. But um, I think that, and I, I have to give a lot of credit to um, Isaiah Wong. 
you know, I think they're, they're starting point guard. Um, and coach Ham was really just, um, wanted to point him out as well. I think that his, um, just skills one-on-one and just, you know, blowing by people all night long. He put up thir- uh, almost 30 of Miami 71 points and he was kind of the lifeblood of a team that is really just, you know, hasn't been able to buy a break this season. So, um, I, 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 FSU wasn't really dealing with the strongest competition here, but I I think overall what I take away from a game like this is, is really good, especially leading up to the NCAA tournament. I think that some of the inconsistencies that we kind of see in FSU's game, you know, whether it's turnovers or sometimes, you know, like, um, mediocre shooting to start things out um i mean it really seems like a complete game from fsu that um i think if they can play like this in the ncaa tournament i don't think anybody will be complaining about that for sure yeah and especially considering how deep some of these other conferences are you look at how many big 10 and big 12 teams are ranked above fsu in the rankings right now that those are some really deep conferences that fsu is going to have to go deep into their playbook to find ways to beat but touching on miami again I think that the phrase for Wong is absolutely deserved. His whole team shot about 33 or 34% from the field. He was the only person on the team shooting above 50%. So he was keeping Miami in this game. Nobody really ever was in doubt that FSU was going to win it, but there were some times when Wong would, would hit a three. He was four or five from three point range, but he would hit a three to cut the deficit to like 15. And I thought, oh man, is is he going to be the spark to get this to single digits? Is FSU going to have to, kick it up another gear. But thankfully for FSU, that was not the case. Uh, he, he had a great individual performance, and maybe during the right scenarios, he could have a have a better supporting cast. But again, as we mentioned, the injury situation, just just awful there. So huge praise to, to Miami for playing through such awful conditions. Huge, huge praise to Wong for being a, a shining light on this team. But definitely, as you said, uh, this was a win that FSU needed. Uh, a win that FSU needed to impress in, and they did exactly that. Certainly, and and I mean, I know that on podcasts like these, we we're generally not wanting to go out of our way to praise the the Hurricanes, yeah. but in this case, I think it's warranted. You know, we can we can call a spade a spade here and say that you know, I mean, just in these circumstances, it, it was kind of a you know almost a foregone conclusion what the outcome of this game would be. And then one thing that stuck out to me as well from I always kind of like to you know, watch Coach Ham's press conferences. I think he's always, you know, got obviously very intelligent head coach, got a lot to say. And I think, um, you know, it's just good to kind of, you know, you almost get to pick his brain a little bit and, and just see his thought process. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me in this one, um, as as it does in virtually every press conference that I see from him, is, I mean, he never – strikes me as somebody who is like okay you know we're just gonna kind of not mail it in necessary necessarily but we're gonna we're gonna you know kind of pump the brakes on this one and just you know we know we've got Miami beat so we'll just you know we'll just give it a slap um the the respect that he had for Miami I mean obviously in these circumstances he kind of knew they're not they're not playing with the full deck but um the respect that he has, I think, for his opponents, he he's taking everybody seriously. At, I mean, no matter who it is, you know, no matter if you're playing Detroit Mercy or something like that, if you're playing Gonzaga, I think that kind of the, the coaching brass here has really kept up their end of the bargain for FSU. 
And, you know, for Miami, I don't know if they're as dependent on victories like this, but um, I think that one of the, I think Virginia for me was exhibit A of this, Um, just the game planning that goes into beating teams like that, especially like Virginia that are very highly ranked and that the national media might not um, shut up about. So I was really, I think in terms of coaching, I really um, think that that is um, the coaching staff has done quite a bit in, in getting FSU this far um, in the season. For sure. Yeah. The coaching and the scout team have been really integral for FSU's success the past couple of years. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be impacted when the, the Green Vipers do leave next year. They're, they're graduate students right now uh, staying for their fifth year, but they have been a really good job or done a really good job of keeping FSU in the, the higher tiers of the rankings. And you mentioned that uh, uh, you, you can't really underestimate any opponent. I think we can go back to UCF and look at there because uh, it's, it's sort of the same scenario where uh, uh, let's, let's compare it to Miami where they had uh, Wong going off. He was the only player that really popped on that team in the UCF game. There were one or two players that scored, I want to say like 80, 85% of the night's points. So yeah, it was those two guards for UCF. Yeah. Yeah. So so just, I think it's scenarios like those that have led FSU to be more comfortable later in the season with shutting down premier opponents uh, because UCF is sitting at eight and 11 right now in the, in the American conference. They are not the greatest basketball team right now. And those two guards gave FSU an, a nightmare on that one afternoon a, a couple months ago. So those scenarios, uh, definitely FSU was practiced in. And I think that's that preparation is going to serve them well come tournament time. That's a great point that you make, Austin, actually. I, I, I think about that game quite a bit just because it's, it's really atypical, as you said, considering that UCF really has not shown up the rest of the season besides that. And I think that kind of the you know, obviously also having such a long home winning streak, you know, probably there was a little more hand-wringing about a loss yeah. like that just because of the, the the streak that was at hand, at least in my mind. But I, I think something like that, kind of the the shock of like, oh my gosh, you know, we just lost to a team that we have no business <laughs> losing to. And I think UCF kind of just their, their really fast up-tempo offense um, totally threw FSU for a loop on that night. Um, but I, I think, yeah, definitely kind of these early season hiccups we see, you know, because it's always them or, you know, I, I think back to, I, I want to say like a pit game last year where it's always like, you know, what what is going on here? And then we see people on Twitter freak out and call for Coach Hand to be fired. And it's like, okay, you know, we, we, we see this every year, you know, kind of these kinks get ironed out and, um you know, the team is really able to piece it together. And, I mean, we consistently have teams like these that in the stretch run look, you know, close to unstoppable, you know, before they get into the get into the tournament. And I think that's definitely anything that any FSU fan can take to heart. Now, one thing I do want to get into was an interesting piece of analysis I saw from um, a guy named Andy Katz, who's an NCAA basketball writer. Um, and it's just talking about kind of the, the seeding that FSU fans might expect coming into this tournament. Um, a lot of the mock brackets that have been submitted at the moment have FSU at a three seed. And I, I want to get some, I want to hear your take on this, Austin. Um, Andy Katz said, because the ACC is just kind of going through a down year, and I don't think anybody can argue with that fact. I mean, we, we're, we're seeing Duke at, 
probably the worst that we've seen them in in the last decade. Um, you know, we're seeing a UNC that really is not fully recovered. I think from last year's kind of clunker. Um, and then, you know, and obviously there are teams like uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech that are doing well. Virginia Tech lost on Tuesday. Um, but he, so he was saying, anyways, now that I finally get to my point, that um, Florida State would probably not be able to ascend higher than a two seed just because they had kind of the, the weight of their conference bogging them down. I mean, do you, and I think also we're seeing, like you talked about, the Big Ten is killing it this year. I mean, even the SEC is having, a, um, is having I think, a, a pretty solid year for the conference, um, even after Arkansas, I think, stunned Alabama um, on Wednesday night. Um, you know, we're seeing kind of a lot um, of conferences that are doing pretty well this year. Um, what, what do you think of that analysis about uh, from Katz about the ACC? And I think there's some point to be made there because obviously the, the big blue bloods, the Duke, the North Carolina, they are not being they are not heavy hitters this season. Uh, North Carolina was obviously not in, not in contention last year. So if you look at it from that point of view, then the conference is having a sort of dip in performance. But I mean, you, you look at the top of the table. Obviously, there's not a lot of names you recognize there. Florida State stands out because they've had magnificent regular season the, the past two years. They've transformed into one of these new blood programs. But, I mean, for, you, you look at some of the other programs at the top, and I can see why people are not giving the ACC a whole ton of credit. Because Virginia, who was once thought to be one of the premier pro- – I mean, they're still one of the premier programs in the sport. But thought to be a contender this season, they've dropped three in a row to opponents they really should not have lost to. Virginia Tech, Louisville, Clemson, I mean, they have strong records, but none of them really screams to me that they can make a deep tournament run. Maybe I can be proven wrong in a couple uh, in a couple weeks, but th- they just they just don't pop off the page the way that past uh, Duke and UNC teams have. So I can definitely see why FSU was not getting a ton of national love for the conference they play in. I think a two seed probably is their ceiling just because of the depth in these other conferences. So as much as it's uh, as much as it's annoying to say, I think that FSU is uh, about where they're going to finish. Yeah, I, I had to agree there, and I was thinking that you know at first I wanted to say, well, you know FSU has really the one thing I I could say is you know I guess minus the UCF loss, and I'd say minus the Georgia Tech loss as well, and those are two losses. You know we have teams like uh, you know Iowa that's it's seven losses and is number nine in the country. Um, I think that, um, I mean, even Alabama has lost four out of their last five. They were at number six, you know, obviously that's going to take a hit, but, um, what the one thing that my knee jerk reaction was to say, well, Florida state, you know, has obviously in a conference like the ACC, you make a great point that, you know, Duke and UNC aren't really where, you know, they're not at the top of the top of the AP rankings, you know, where they might normally be expected to be. But I think the ACC in, in many sports, and basketball is obviously no exception, is a conference where, you know, some of these schools that aren't necessarily auto bids to the NCAA tournament, you know, you can have a team like, um, you know, like Pitt, like we see every year, or even like Wake Forest that can kind of give you a run for your money on, on any day of the week if, if you let them. And so I was going to say I thought FSU had done a fairly solid job of not having those games where you know they got totally ran sideways by teams like those um and obviously 
it, it hasn't been a perfect season, but it's been a very good one by FSU basketball. But overall, I think that you could probably say that for every other team in the poll, that they're beating who they're supposed to beat. Um, so I, I, I got to agree with you there that I, I, I can see them. I think a number three seed is the most likely. Um, a number two seed, you know, I, I don't I think would be fantastic. But, um, you know, we will I think we'll just have to see, you know, as we get closer and closer to, um, you know, everybody becoming an expert in, <laughs> in bracketology. Um, Austin, I, I do want to get to baseball here a little bit, but any, any final thoughts from you? Um, I, I don't want to, you know, leave off here, you know, any, anything that you think we ought to hit. Um, I know we're getting into the home stretch of the season here. So I want to, you know, if there's anything you think we ought to be on the lookout for or something, the four. Yeah, I just want to urge any listeners to not really be too alarmed by what may happen in the ACC tournament, because from what I understand, Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, selection committee, the bracketology experts, they uh, they don't put a whole lot of stock into conference tournaments. Obviously, it is a similar format to the, uh, the NCAA tournament in that you are expected to win X amount of games over X amount of days. So that's a really high-pressure environment. But just when you factor – if FSU were to go out in the round of eight or the round of four, then don't just go up in arms, call for Ham's head. I doubt that would happen. It hasn't happened in recent years, thankfully. But, I mean – just look at FSU's total body of work and trust in the selection committee to, to put FSU where they should be. That's a, that's a great point. And I suppose one last question um, before we go to baseball here um, that I want to ask you is, is what do you think a ceiling is? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, if, if it was a best case scenario for Florida state this year, what, what do you see happening? You know, do you see a, a, a title run? in that, you know, I mean, in the realm of possibility, um, you know, what, what do you think could, could be the, that ceiling? I, mean, for I, this year? I, I don't want to sound too hopeful, but I think a title run is entirely possible because yeah, pe- people uh, were saying yeah. that about last year's team. They were dominating the ACC towards the back end of the schedule. They were primed to win the ACC tournament. They, they had the trophy to win the tournament, but they just didn't play any of the games to, to claim that victory. But regardless, uh, some people are saying this team is more well-rounded, uh, better on defense than last year's team. So if that holds true through the, the back end of this regular season and through the ACC tournament, then I have no reason to believe that FSU is not a legit contender. But I, I think more tempered expectations, I think Elite Eight would be really great for this team because there are a lot of young guys on this team like Scotty Barnes, like Sadar Calhoun, that are, are going to need that that high-pressure environment, uh, the competition to, to sort of uh, immerse themselves in. So they, they may be up for it. They may not uh, have their feet under them for some of these later, more uh, more important games. But I think Elite Eight is a, a pretty fair estimation, but they can absolutely go farther. Certainly, I totally agree. And personally, I mean, a Final Four run, I would be like, oh, yeah. that is just fantastic. Um, and I think one thing that cannot be underestimated, you know, and this is a little bit FSU specific, is thinking about some of these guys that were on the team last season, you know, guys like Raekwon Gray, um, MJ Walker, you know, Malik Osborne, guys that were definitely there for that that kind of, you know, what looked to be a team that was getting pretty unstoppable as the season wound down. Yeah. They're hungry. They were hungry to go further last year. They know that they had that kind of, robbed from them i mean as as much as you know obviously Mm -hmm. everybody has that feeling 
but um, they they wanted it, and I think that has been clear. Obviously, that's not as as salient of a theme as it might have been earlier this year, but I mean, they definitely there was no doubt in their minds that they I think had the tools to go very far last year, and that that kind of maiden voyage I think you know as uh, you know, you know, was taken away from them. So I, I think this year I'm excited to see how those guys, you know, that weren't around last year will really, you know, if they're going to be, you know, if they're going to have that kind of fire in the belly, you know, to go, to go very far now, you know, turning uh, our focus a little bit, we also saw baseball get their, uh, get their season under them uh, last weekend uh, with a three game series against UNF. Uh, the first game of the series, which was supposed to be on Friday night, was uh, eventually pushed back to Saturday. Um, and so we saw on Saturday, I think, you know, kind of a, a surprising season opening loss to uh, North Florida. That was uh, the final score was seven to four. Um, I believe it was seven to one as, as early as the third or fourth inning um, before Florida State was really able to, um, you know, right the ship a little bit. Um, pitching wise, and then uh, they were able to claim the last two games of uh, a doubleheader, especially as their bats kind of came alive. Um, Austin, you, just to get started here, I want to get some of your um, initial thoughts from what you saw. I, I was there for Saturday's game, and um, I know that you were there for that, and you were there for the the second game on Sunday as well. So I want to just get you your thought. Obviously, we've got a lim- limited sample size to work here. But what yeah, definitely a limited sample size and not against the, the stiffest competition, so not sure t- what to make of it too much. But this is really a, a mixed bag for FSU because that season opening loss, it, it, remind, it reminded me a lot of the opening of the season last year in the COVID-shortened season. I believe they lost their season opener opening night to, to Maine, and then they, they came back to win the next two games, uh, next two games of that series. But uh, a, a lot of the same things that Mike Martin Jr. said in the press conference following the Saturday night loss, the opening night loss to uh, to UNF, they sort of rang true last year as well. He said they did not play well in any facet of the game. He said the team stunk. He said the base running was not great. So those are all sentiments that were shared from opening night last year. And if if the Sunday games are any indication, he tore into them well enough in that clubhouse and leading up to the doubleheader on Sunday that they were able to sort of take his words to heart and realize that they cannot have any of these sloppy performances against non-conference opponents if they are to compete for a, a, a tournament run to the College World Series. So the Friday night, the Saturday night game, rather, with Parker Messick giving up uh, five earned runs, that was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. But as you mentioned, the, the bats did kind of wake up over the course of the series uh, into Sunday's games. And Connor Grady in particular, uh, on the mound, uh, for the second game of the doubleheader on Sunday, he was immaculate. Obviously, he has those two earned runs to his name from walking two batters right before he exited, I believe, in the fifth inning. But up until that point, he was automatic. Mm-hmm. He was, I think he was getting through innings with like 10, maybe 10 pitches each. I think he was at 20 pitches through the third inning. So ridiculous stuff there. Unraveled a little bit, but it's sort of that bend, don't break mentality. And he, he exemplified that perfectly. So... If FSU can get even halfway consistent pitching from him and the rest of their starters, then they would be in great. Uh, they would be set up greatly for success this season. I got to agree, and I think um, you know, well, everybody would certainly hope that kind of what we saw from Parker Messick last Saturday 
I mean, I think it was, you know, there, there was a lot of, a lot of noise to be made about, okay. You know, he, obviously everybody knew he had the tools to be mm-hmm. successful. He clearly does, you know, but it was his first game as a starter and especially as kind of that number one starter for, you know, FSU, the Friday night starter kind of implies that, you know, he's, he's considered one of the, the aces in the rotation. And so I think that's kind of a lot of, you know, just a lot of pressure to have on you as you come into your first collegiate mm-hmm. start. And he's only a sophomore as well. So, um, you know, I think that a game like this, this is a great opportunity for him to kind of right the ship um, against, you know, Pitt. I know they had a up and down, you know, start as well. They're three and one, but they did lose their opener as well to Indiana State. And I'm sure that that's a, a team that, you know, I'm not as well versed in where you know indiana state falls in the college baseball landscape but i can imagine that 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 was probably equivalent to like a unf game for um for them in terms of just that's not a team that we should be losing to um but they were able to like fsu pick up the last two games there um and i think talking about connor grady as well i am really glad to see him where he is in the rotation just at that back end um i think he he's obviously good enough to be wherever in the rotation but I think just kind of having that veteran presence you know there especially for weekend series where you know let's say you take one game you lose the other I think he's just a dependable guy to have on Sundays you know to say okay you know we know we've got somebody that's going to be pretty composed knows what to you, you know knows how to handle themselves on the mound um, whereas I think Messick and to a lesser degree Carson Montgomery might still be just, you know, learning that that kind of starters mentality. Um, and I think just having Grady there is is very um, it's a very a, a, a good kind of rock for the rotation. Um, a couple of guys that I want to point out from um, opening weekend. Obviously, I, I think Tyler Martin atop the yeah. lineup is going to be scary all year. I mean, he was just constantly setting the table all weekend long. Um, and that was that was the one thing that I do want to point out uh, before um, and uh, from Saturday is I think the number of opportunities that were missed by FSU in that game at the plate were were a little bit inexcusable. I mean, I want to say that there was two separate innings where they had the bases loaded and could not score. Um, the the bottom of that ninth mm-hmm. inning uh, really sticks out to me, um, especially as it took I want to say it took UNF at least it, at least three. I want to say four pitchers to finish that ninth inning um, as their bullpen was just kind of walking people left and right. Um, And I think that those, there was a lot of FSU clearly had no problem getting on base. They had a lot of issues getting people home and then a lot of miscues in the field that kind of prolonged innings and prolonged, um, uh, you know, the offensive attack uh, for UNF in that series. But um, I think that in in any case, he is going to be, just scary at the top of the lineup. He's reached base in every single start that he's had so far at FSU. That's 19 total starts. And then I also think um, I was pleasantly surprised by Matt Nelson's power. Um, I know that he had done a lot in the off season in terms of just strength training and conditioning and kind of, you know, slimming down a little bit, but, but being much more muscular at the same time. And I think that pop was evident there. Um, so those were kind of some of my opening observations. Um, I'm trying to, and, and one thing I do want to note, Austin, um, is Mike Bell, who is Florida State's pitching coach for uh, 
from 2012 to 2018. So by my estimation, that would be um, every season or, or of uh, Mike Martin Sr.'s last seven seasons for the first six of those. And then the last season, which was 2019, they would he would have not been there, probably had been called up to Pittsburgh at that point. He will be the head coach for Pittsburgh. So that's kind of an interesting um, intersection right there. But um, I, I'm trying to think, Austin, do you think that some of the defensive issues that we saw, do you think those are going to be kind of um, an issue throughout the season or just kind of, you know, first game issues? Um, obviously, we're just kind of ruminating here, but, you know, you know, what, I think most of them could be ironed out over the course of the season. Obviously, guys aren't going to be at their their most rehearsed for the first uh, first series of the season especially coming off a season that really ended prematurely. You only, you only got a handful of games in. So uh, guys definitely have been practicing amongst themselves with the team for the past couple months, but just being in that real game scenario for the first time in ages, really, uh, you, you were going to have some slip ups. I know there were some issues with fielding balls, a few errors that led to UNF base runners getting a lot farther than they should have. So hopefully those issues do not persist for FSU. I mean, they're going to crop up every now and then since no team is perfect, but they were a lot more evident during this UNF series than I think any FSU fan would have wanted to see. Um, those, those sort of un- unforced errors, though, teams do generally tend to work those out of their system for the most part as the season goes on, as they face stiffer competition where they cannot afford to make those errors without losing games. So I, I would definitely expect to see an improvement in that area. And I mean, if Mike Martin's uh, his his tone from Saturday night is to be believed, then he is absolutely drilling that discipline into his players every day during practice. Certainly, and I, I hate to call out players, especially this early in the year, but three yeah. of those errors were from Vince Smith. Who's a um, he's a true freshman, um, got a couple starts at third base, and at the you know on the opposite side of the coin, I thought he made some tremendous plays at third base, um, especially on Saturday. I saw quite a few in the early innings of just you know you hit little choppers that kind of die out halfway down the third baseline, and he was he he was all over those you know making killer plays to um, you know mm-hmm. to throw a runner out at first. And, um, you know, to kind of get double plays going, I think he was definitely had those fundamentals down well. And I, I, I know at least one of those errors was a really, you know, kind of a tough, um, tough bounce on a ball that got by him. But um, I do think that, you know, that's kind of a, an early season jitters thing more than, you know, at least I would hope that, you know, we're not seeing multiple error games, you know, this far um you know, later on in in the regular season, um, as far as you know, obviously prognosticating goes, Austin. I think you make a great point in terms of just Mike Martin's, um, you know, clubhouse presence. I think as you know, saying if you guys want to get get to Omaha that that Saturday game, that ain't it. You know, so um, I think in the reports that I've heard is he obviously kind of knows when to put that pressure on. But he's not, you know, a yeller and a screamer and, a, you know, yell until he's blue in the face at these guys. So um, overall, you know, obviously, I think we're, we're dealing with three games here. So we're not totally able to make, you know, broad sweeping conclusions just yet at this point. But um, I think we saw, a, you know, a little bit more peaks and valleys in that doubleheader, at least for me, than I would have liked. Um, you know, it, it, it valleys obviously in terms of Saturday's game, just kind of errors, 
um, you know, little issues that really <laughs> stacked up um, as that game went on. But I think um, obviously the offense is there. Um, I, the only the only thing I guess that I, I need to do address, I think the bullpen depth could um, definitely have been better over the weekend series, but I, I'm excited to see how they do as they go on. And obviously having um, Clayton Kwiatkowski um, in that bullpen, um, he'd definitely be the, the veteran there, probably the equivalent to Connor Grady in the starting rotation to really kind of, you know, keep things level. Um, and he was solid over the weekend as well. Um, so I think that overall, you know, we've kind of seen where this team is at and it's good to see <laughs> The yeah, uh, Vince Smith in particular. Sure. You, you mentioned he had a couple of misplays uh, on defense. I, I want to say that there was there was one play where he and the shortstop, I believe, were trying to tag out a guy on his way from second to third, and the the base runner just slipped past him, got to third, no consequence. But so uh, a bit a bit uh, hectic on the defensive side. But he his first hit as a Seminole, Vince Smith's first hit as a Seminole was a three run home run. So. Obviously, he, he's not going to keep up that same pace throughout the rest, yeah. the rest of the season. Uh, we talk about sort of regressing to the mean in terms of defensive errors. The team is definitely going to regress to the mean in terms of their offensive production as well, I would believe. But that was a really strong showing from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, good to get some confidence back because that did come a little later in the game. So sort of blow up the uh, the lead for FSU. I believe that took it from a one nothing lead to a 4 nothing. I believe that was when it was in the game. So... He was a huge part of why FSU was able to get some breathing room. And, I mean, for a true freshman to go out there and uh, get that for his first career hit, it, it's it's super meaningful for him going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that home run was kind of a, a great way to atone for some of the, you know, some of the errors that he might have made for sure. And that is good to see. I know that he, at least coming into the season, you know, he his ability in the field was tremendously evident. I think at, at the plate, you know, he definitely looked solid, but he, he wasn't necessarily, you know, anybody that you'd be writing home about on offense. So it was good to see that kind of pop, um, especially in his first few games. So um, as far as baseball analysis goes, I, I hate to just go totally down the rabbit hole out of three games. But I think that, you know, this weekend series will ultimately be a good, you know, kind of that'll give us a good kind of bearing point of where, we might expect FSU to be on any given game. Um, and especially as this season ages and matures a little bit, you know, we'll obviously get more, more information on that front. But um, as far as that goes, I think we've definitely covered quite a bit. Austin, any final thoughts from you? Um, baseball, basketball, FSU sports? Uh, just in regard um, to baseball, I, I do like the, the confidence that Mike Martin Jr. is showing in Parker Messick because – that was obviously not a great showing on Saturday night, as we have talked about ad nauseum for a little bit. Uh, but but he is still sticking with Messick as the, the yeah. Friday night starter for this series against Pitt. So it's good to show that Mike Martin Jr. is keeping faith in his players, uh, maybe realizing that somebody's first start is not always going to go, not, not going to have a storybook ending. So putting him back out there on the mound, giving him another chance to prove himself is a really good move in my book. And hopefully, hopefully for Messick, it pays off because guys can definitely use a little boost of confidence early in this season. Certainly. Yeah. And I think definitely Messick has shown the tools that, you know, it's not that he's not being put there just, you know, just to put him up there. He's definitely got the skills necessary to succeed in that number one spot, even if um, last Saturday was not how, how he wanted it to go. So on that note, I think that might wrap us up 
for this uh, this week's episode of Talk and Shop. Um, it was once again a pleasure to have Austin Reynolds on. You can find our work in the FSVU, um, and that is on print in the white boxes on campus. New issues are there every Monday. And then you can always find our work online. It's published pretty soon after we send it over. So um, with that, that has been another episode of Talk and Shop. And thanks again for tuning in.